Our scripture reading today is 1 John, first verse, 5 through 10, into the second verse, 1 through 6, in the New International Version. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, there's one right there in front of you between the hymnals, and the page is 1278. Now, if you pick up one that's large print, it's page 1898. And if you have your mobile devices, you can use those too. <laughs> this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie, and we do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us of our sins and pure us purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. How many of you have seen the movie Catch Me If You Can? Or read the book, maybe? Uh, it was a popular book a long time ago, and then, and then more recently, uh, Tom Hanks and Leonardo DiCaprio played it out on the big screen. And, and uh, this is a very interesting, true-ish story <laughs> of a guy named 
Frank William Abagnale Jr., who you can see there on the right. That's what he looks like now, or at least a few years ago. Uh, but when this guy was 16, between the age of 16 and 21, he spent that five-year period becoming one of the most notorious, head-scratching con men that you, can ever, you would ever dream up or concoct in a fictional story. And uh, while the movie might have been slightly exaggerated, the fiction is no less, I mean, the, the, uh, the nonfiction is no less incredible. And this guy, between the age of 16 and 21, forged two and a half million dollars worth of checks. 16 to 21. I, mean, I didn't even know what a check was. <laughs> he, uh, for a whole year, just about, impersonated a, a pediatrician. Not just a pediatrician, but a supervising pediatrician at an emergency room in a real hospital. He impersonated a pilot on numerous, numerous, I mean, he flew millions of free miles uh, as a pilot, deadheading on Pan American's flights. Maybe that's one of the reasons they didn't make it. <laughs> you don't see Pan Am planes anymore. Um, he impersonated a college professor, an attorney. It's unbelievable what this guy did in just five years from the age of 16 to the age of 21. And as you watch uh, the movie, uh, you'll find yourself laughing because it's just, it's incredible. But as funny as it is now, looking back on it, it really wasn't funny. I mean, think about all the, the people who lost out on, on money that he took advantage of. Think about, uh, think about if you had been on that plane. When, I mean, usually he didn't fly the plane. I mean, I don't think he ever took off <laughs> flying a plane or landed a plane. But he just did what they call deadheading, where he would sit in the jump seat in the back behind the pilots and co-pilots and get a free ride. But while they're up there in the air, it wasn't uncommon for him to say, hey, why don't you take the wheel for a minute? And he said that he'd hit the autopilot just as fast as he could. Because <laughs> he didn't know how to fly a kite, much less a plane. And imagine if you'd been a passenger on that plane with some you know, 18-year-old kid behind the wheel. Or imagine you were the parent who brought in a baby who couldn't breathe to the emergency room one night. And I think that's the moment when he kind of figured out he needed to get out of that one before somebody died. Because the nurse came telling him that there was a blue baby. He didn't know what that meant. He didn't know that the baby couldn't breathe. And even if he had, he wouldn't have known what to tell the interns he was supervising to do. Fortunately, that baby survived. But he was representing himself one way. But that wasn't reality. And uh, perhaps you've known someone to have done that. Maybe not quite to this scale. But perhaps you've had someone in your life or someone you know had a similar experience where someone presented themselves in one light but that wasn't actually who they were. Uh, maybe you even dated someone like that or married someone like that. I, I met someone who, uh, the story that I heard about them, you know, it was an elderly lady in, in California, and she was actually from these parts, and 
in her youth, she had married a man who had started going to church with her, had become a Christian, and, and she married him. And as soon as they got back from their honeymoon, first Sunday rolls around, and he says, I hope you don't think I'm going to keep doing that church thing with you. And he wasn't who she thought he had been. But she lived her whole life with him. And in many ways, he wasn't who he had presented himself to be. If we're honest, a lot of us have to some degree, at some point, kind of presented ourselves in a light that maybe wasn't wholly true, right? To, to fit in, or to look cool, or to get the girl to go out with you, or, you know, whatever it may be. You might have stretched a little bit about your, your you know, high school football career, or <laughs> just how many passes you caught, or... How many goals you scored in basketball or one of the most popular ways that people misrepresent themselves nowadays is they present themselves to be in the light, but they're actually in the dark. They present themselves or associate themselves with Jesus Christ in some way, shape, or form, but their actions, the way they live their lives, seems to prove otherwise. If you're a Christian here today, this message is going to be challenging. I'll just give you a heads up. If, you, if it gets too rough, you can take a bathroom break. We'll know what's going on. <laughs> um, if you're not a Christian with us and you're here today, I'm glad you're here. Because maybe this will help clear something up for you. On you know, A lot of times, people who hesitate to become a Christian, they've known some Christians in the past that weren't very Christian, <laughs> if you know what I mean. And those people have been an obstacle for you and your own faith. And so maybe this will shed a little bit of light on the truth of those situations. But we've been in this series on light and dark. Let there be light. And we've talked about how this light and dark thing has been one of the great metaphors in human history. And through all the ages, we've all understood that light represents good. Light represents safety. Dark represents evil. It represents danger. We've all understood this for all time because as long as humanity's been on the earth, there's been night and there's been day. There's been light and there's been darkness. And we know that in the light, there's just a greater sense of security and safety. And in the dark, that there's a greater sense of danger and uncertainty of what might be in the shadows that we don't know. The unknown. And so it's been the case that through the years in literature and in art and in movies and in stories that we tell, this metaphor has been born, which the good guys wear light and the bad guys wear dark. And, and, uh, and as I keep pointing out, you know, when we get married, the girl gets to wear white and the guy, they put us in black. It happens every time. <laughs> And so we deal with that. You know, that's one of the ways that us guys are at a disadvantage in this life, you know. <laughs> no, one, no one's feeling pity for us, huh? Um, so we've been talking about this metaphor, and we've been talking about how because it's so widely understood, perhaps that's why God uses it again and again throughout His Word, from the first pages to the last pages, over and over again to describe Himself to us, to describe spiritual truths about faith and how we can relate to Him. 
time and again, this comes up of light and dark. And so we've studied so far, uh, the first message was just called Let There Be Light. And we talked about how when we're facing darkness of many kinds, that we should remember that we serve a God who says, let there be light. The next week we talked about Jesus' statement, I am the light. And we said if we want to leave a meaningless life of darkness for a fulfilling life of light, that we should live our lives for the one who is the light. And then last week we looked at I saw the light and we heard Paul's incredible testimony of how he came to faith when he literally saw the light. And God gave him the mission of showing other people the light that they might repent and prove their repentance by their deeds. And so we just pointed out that once you accept who Jesus is, You can't stay as you were. And this week we're really going to expound on that as we look at into marvelous light. We read a passage from 1 John a moment ago. And we're going to read, actually, we're going to look at that passage some more. If you have it still out, keep it out. If you put it away, get it back out because we're going to spend some time in, in 1 John and looking at those verses again. And then at the end of our message, we're going to look at 1 Peter. Now, John and Peter were two of Jesus' core disciples. And they both wrote letters to the church later in their life, we believe. And they have this pastor's heart. You can read it as you, you'll just sense it as we read. That they, in their older age, are looking down on their spiritual children in a sense. Not looking down in the sense of looking down on, but as a grandfather looks on his grandchildren. That kind of fatherly affection. And they long for the best in their kids, their spiritual kids. They want the best for them. They want them to cling to the truth. And you can just sense that in their message. But before we look at their letters, let's talk about these two men. Because their letters, the parts we're going to read today, I mean, they just go hand in glove with each other. And these two guys were kind of, seemed inseparable when you read Scripture. I don't know if they were actually buddies or if they just tolerated each other and Jesus made them do stuff together. But... They were seen together. I mean, from the, from the moment Jesus called them to follow him, these were two fishermen at the shores of Galilee. Peter working his nets. John working his family's nets. When, from, it seems that from the beginning, Jesus kind of made them part of his inner circle. The leadership, part of the leadership group of his Small, small circle. I mean, just two or three guys that he took around to different things. When Jesus was getting ready for what we call the Last Supper, he sent Peter and John to make the arrangements. When he went to the garden in great turmoil right before he was betrayed, he took Peter and John with him and James. We read that when, uh, when Jesus was betrayed... They, John stuck with him. Peter betrayed him. 
that their stories are, are so central. And at the cross, Jesus looked at John and said, take care of my mom. And we read in other places where it seems Jesus gave Peter the charge of the church. And after that betrayal and everything, there was this beautiful moment, on, again on the shores of Galilee, where Jesus restores Peter, forgives Peter, recommissions him for the mission of leading the church. And as they're talking about this, Jesus also mentions to Peter that, you know, as you've, you betrayed me, but you're going to follow me ultimately in the same kind of death that I died. And at this point, you know, Peter's, okay, Lord, but he asks a question. He says, what about him? And he apparently points at John. And Jesus says, well, what's it to you if I want him to live until I come back? And it's almost as though Peter knows that John holds a special place in Jesus' heart. These two men, and even after Jesus ascended, we read a story about Peter and John walking together to the temple. And they're going there to worship, to, to tell people about Jesus. And along the way, they run into this crippled man. And they say, and he's begging for money. And they say, we don't have silver, we don't have gold, but what we do have, we give to you in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. And they, they heal this man. And he goes around telling people about what had happened to him in the name of Jesus. And pretty soon Peter and John are called before the Jewish leaders to account for what they were saying about this Jesus. And their lives were threatened in that room, Peter and John. And they went back to the church and they said, let's pray that God would give us boldness in the face of these threats. And from what we can tell through the rest of the New Testament, it appears that Peter and John went on to continue to be bold in their faith to be missionaries of the faith, to be pillars of the church, leaders of the church. These two men seem to be at the forefront of the church in what Jesus Christ did, both in his earthly ministry and after. So let's look together now at some of their words. And like I said, we're going to start with the words from John in 1 John. We read, uh, we began at chapter 1, verse 5, and that's where we'll begin looking now. He says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. We established that week one of this series. And everything we've been studying since is founded on that. And he says, If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet... Walk in the darkness, we lie. This should be our warning that John's a straight shooter, all right? And things may get a little bit uncomfortable here today. But if we claim to have, if we claim to be in his light and yet walk in the dark, he says, we lie, plain and simple. Just as plain as if I said to you that I am literally in the light, but I was up here stumbling around tripping over things as though I was in the dark, you'd say, I don't think he's seeing light, <laughs> you know. Or if an if a officer, you know, pulls over 
a drunk guy and, and he says, no, Ossifer, I'm, I'm sober, you know. And, but he's trying to walk the line and he's <laughs> walking all over the place. You'd say, yeah, <laughs> we know the truth. You're lying. Just as plain as that. If we say that we're in the light, if we say that we belong to Jesus, but we are walking and living as though we don't, it proves that we lie. He goes on, and he begins to talk about sin and righteousness. And before we get into verse 8, I just want to clarify. You know, those have become, again, we've, I've talked about this several times. A lot of the words in the Bible we've so religified, which is my word. <laughs> it's not a, I don't even think you can find it in a dictionary. But we've religified a lot of words. And sin and righteousness are, are two of those words that just sound like religious terms. And sometimes I think we miss out on the core of what it means. And at, at the most basic level, we're just talking about righteousness being living God's way. Living his way. And sin being not living his way. Right? Living our way or living the world's way. It says in verse 8, he drops the metaphor and just comes straight to the point. That if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In other words, if we act like we've always lived God's way, we're kidding ourselves. Right? I don't care how, what your grandma says about you or how good of a kid your mama says you were when you were at home. <laughs> None of us have lived our whole lives God's way. And so we're all guilty. But he goes on and he says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Alright, so there's hope. But here... As we get into, into chapter 2, and you see his pastor's heart when he says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. See, it's like John is saying, Okay, I'm telling you that you've all sinned. I'm telling you that there's forgiveness in Jesus. But I don't want you to get mixed up and start thinking that because we've all sinned and because there's forgiveness, you can just go on living your life however you want. So he clarifies here and he says, I write this to you so you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And he's the atoning sacrifice for our sins and for the sins of the whole world. You see the tension he's trying to balance? He wants us to know that we don't have to live in guilt and that if we mess it up, even after we become a Christian, that there's forgiveness for us. But he wants to clarify and get one thing straight, that that doesn't give us license just to go on living as we always lived. And here's where he really comes down to it. Okay, let's get down to verse 3. Chapter 2, verse 3. We know that we have come to know him. If we obey his commands. The man who says I know him. But does not do what he commands. Is a liar. That's a parallel statement. To what he said earlier about the light. If we say we're in the light. But we're living in the dark. Walking in the dark. Then we're liars you know. 
Same thing here. If we say we know Jesus, if we try to associate ourselves with him, but we don't obey what he says to do, then we're liars. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. And catch this, the end of verse 5 and verse 6. This is where it all gets summed up. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus walked. This is how we know. This is how we know if we're telling the truth when we associate ourselves with Jesus. Do we walk as Jesus walked? It's kind of a tall order. Let's just be honest for a moment. I would say, and I think most of you would agree, that there's more people going to church nowadays than being the church. That there's a lot of people who claim Christ in some way, but they don't change the way they live. They don't look any different from anyone else. (laughs) See, In our culture nowadays, it's really nice to listen to Christian radio. It's it's nice to go to church and make some nice friends. It's nice to get some Christian-y art or a sticker on the back of your car. It's nice to wear a cross on your jewelry. It's nice to tell someone you'll pray for them. It's especially nice when we really don't have to change the way we were living and we can keep all our same old friends and we can keep our same old habits we can keep doing the same old thing we can, we can have Jesus or claim Jesus and still go on partying like we used to we can go on getting drunk like we used to we can go on talking filthy with our buddies just like we used to we can keep watching the same movies and TV shows as everyone else We can claim Jesus and all that stuff and we can go on (laughs) we don't have to give a dime of our money we can spend that all on stuff that has nothing to do with God we don't have to follow his rules on marriage or any of that stuff it's almost popular in our culture to do that to throw Jesus around a little bit but to just live like everybody else does. Isn't it? If we'd... And this is our statement for today. If you want to fill in the blanks in your card. If we'd like to be linked with Jesus. If we'd like to be linked with Jesus. We need to live our lives his way if you'd like to be linked with Jesus live your life his way see we all like the blessings of Jesus don't we we like the idea of his comfort and his peace and his healing we like to be able to have the hope that we'll see our loved ones again 
We like all those blessings, the good stuff about Jesus. But what a lot of us seem to forget sometimes is that those blessings are intrinsically tied to his way of life. Those rules that we sometimes kick back at you know, are not just arbitrary hoops that he threw up there and said, yeah, make them do all this. Make, you know, if they want to come to me, they've got to do this and this and this, and I'm going to make it so hard that they can't ever have a hope of... Those rules that he set up have reasons behind them. And when we live life his way is when we find a lot of those blessings that we want to just magically appear, if we call in the name of Jesus. But he says, live my way, and you'll experience so much of that. His rules have reasons, and we're just going to look just at a few of them, and I just tried to pick some that you know, I feel like our society kicks back at a lot, you know, that maybe aren't popular in our culture. And let's just talk for a moment. You know, we're not going to go in depth like we could. We could spend a whole message on any of them. But take, for instance, you know, don't be drunk. That one's not popular. It's not popular. I mean, how are you going to have any fun, right? And, and how are the kids going to sow their wild oats, right, if they're not getting drunk along the way? I mean, it's our American right, you know. We, we brew good beer around here, I'm told. And, you know, why not drink it? That's what beer's for. Get drunk. Why have it? And I would just say, you know, it's possible to have fun without being drunk. And you know that because you can remember times you've had fun and you weren't drunk. And that's why you remember it. But look at what drunkenness causes. And I know everyone says, well, that's not me. You know, and I'm careful. And what I do, it doesn't affect anyone else. But just look at drunkenness in general in our society. And what it's caused. I mean, just the instances of drunk driving. Just the instances of abuse that wouldn't have happened if dad hadn't gotten drunk. Just a whole host of decisions that people didn't make in their right mind, that they made them while they were under the influence, that have caused reverberated problems across our society and through the years. And so God puts that rule there. Why? Just to make us miserable? No. Because he has a purpose and a point. And he sees that, hey, if no one got drunk, life would be considerably better for you folks. Another one that that we kick back on is keeping sexual relations within the confines of marriage. And that's not popular nowadays either. Maybe less popular than ever. You know, because who can do that anyway, right? And... And kids will be kids. And as long as they're careful, you know, what, what harm's done? And yet, if we're honest, and we look again at our society as a whole, and what this has done, in terms of diseases, in terms of 
little girls having to make choices that they should have never had to make. In terms of little babies being raised without dads, with little to no stability, right? Because we aren't willing to do what it takes to follow the rules that God set out for us for our own best interest. Another one being to commit to marriage. That one's not popular anymore either. And I mean, it's outdated, right? Because that's something that our great-grandparents did or something, and, and they were probably miserable the whole time anyway. Because everyone knows that after you've been married a while, you know, people change, they get uglier, they get meaner. So you move on to someone happy that would make you happier. You know, that's just what we do. And I'm not trying to trivialize. I know that there's tough situations. But on the whole, if we committed to marriage the way that Jesus asks us to commit to marriage, look at, again, as a society, the brokenness we're experiencing now. And anyone that teaches school can tell you as they look through their kid's file and try to figure out who to contact when they need to contact a parent. And that's the norm now. You know, the kids, and the kids are the ones that suffer from it, right? They're the ones that deal with the instability and the broken homes and who am I staying with this weekend and where am I going next and, and why don't mom and dad love each other anymore and all, those, all that stuff. And a lot of them grow up not to even, you know, they don't even want anything to do with marriage when they get older. So they just live with someone, which takes us back to the one we were just talking about, you know. And and God says, you know, if you just lived it my way, you know, my rules have reasons. And I don't say all this to you today just to heap guilt on you. Neither does God who doesn't put those rules on there just to heap guilt on you, but also to heap hope on you for your future. Because this is the same God that said if we confess our sins he's faithful and just will forgive us for living not his way and will purify us from that so that we can live his way he's a God that offers hope and all those blessings and things that we desire from Jesus they come with that package not just calling on his name but of living his way So perhaps today, step one for you is just to seek forgiveness. Last week we talked about repentance being turning from your old way of life to a new way of life. Doing a a 180. And Paul said that his mission was to ask people to repent and then prove their repentance by their deeds. By how they lived. And that starts at forgiveness. And maybe it starts at forgiveness for you today. I promised you 1 Peter, so we're going to look at that briefly. And if you have your Bible still open, you can just flip a few pages back the other way towards the front, and you'll find 1 Peter just a few pages over. 1,271 in, in mine, which is similar to a lot of yours. Peter also uses the light and dark metaphor. We're going to start in chapter 2, verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Peter begins 
by reminding us who we are. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare that here's why, here's why we exist as a people, a chosen people of God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light, or in other translations, his marvelous light. Same metaphor that John used. He called us out of darkness and into his light. And if we skip down to verse 11, Peter clarifies again, and in the later parts of the chapter as well, but he says, I urge you then, as aliens, we're not talking UFOs, we're talking about like immigrants, foreigners, and strangers in the world. Abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the non-Christians that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And that last verse really gets into our, ne- our message next week of what it looks like if we live as lights for God. But do you catch what he's saying? He said, leave the darkness for his marvelous light. And what that looks like is, you'll look like an alien, a stranger, a foreigner. See, a lot of times we think that Christianity, you know, when you become a Christian, it's kind of like you join a new club, right? Like a, a new social club, and you go on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. You know, if you're devoted, you go on Wednesday nights. Real serious, you go to Sunday school too. You know, but it's a, it's, a fun, it's a club that we join. And what Peter and what John are saying is no. <laughs> it's more like if you were suddenly transplanted into a, a tribe in the middle of the Amazon, you'd stick out like a sore thumb. I mean, you, you eat different, you talk different, you act different, you live different, you do births different, you do marriages different, you do death different. Everything's different. All your traditions and customs and culture, it's just different. You'd stick out like a sore thumb. Even if you didn't look different. That's how we're supposed to be. In this world. We're not supposed to eat the same. As everyone else does. We're not supposed to look the same. Act the same. Talk the same. We do marriage different. We do death different because we have a hope that the world will never understand. I hope that you'll choose to be linked with Jesus. I hope that you'll choose to live in the light and not live a lie. Let's pray. God, this is a tough one. We've probably all felt a little bit of sting of conviction because we know that God, we struggle sometimes living the kind of lives that would be so drastically different from this world around us that we would stick out. Our natural tendency is to want to fit in, not stick out. Forgive us that, we pray, and help us by your Holy Spirit to live lives worthy 
of what you did for us, Jesus. We pray this in your mighty name. Amen.